for visiting the Sanctuary Fellowship. We pray the following message will be encouraging to you. Listen in as we start taking away the layers of religion and discover the joys of a relationship with the Creator. Amen. Isn't it funny how the world sings party like a rock star and we're singing this morning, we're not a rock star. <laughs> but the answer is found in the very next song that we sang, right? Because nothing compares to the promise that we have. Amen? Nothing compares to the promise that we have. Can we just stay there for a minute? Nothing compares to the promise that we have. Sometimes, you know, that, that hasn't hit us sometimes. Some of us haven't been struck by that. Nothing compares to the promise that we have. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. Your word which is already anointed. Your word which is already yoke-breaking, chain-smashing, captive-freeing, bond-breaking. Father, we just ask you that we would be in the right place today to, 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 to talk about it, in the right place to receive it, in the right place to hear it, and in the right place to be set free by it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anybody excited about the Word of God this morning? Anybody here for the first time today? Anybody here for the first time? Just throw your hands up. We just want to put something in your hands. Amen. Welcome. We welcome you to the Sanctuary Fellowship. We pray we haven't scared you off so far. But we're not your... your I was going to say we're not like your grandmother's church, but yeah, we are, kind of. Amen? We got a lot of grandmas and great-grandmas in here. The difference is they know how to get down and they know how to serve God. Amen. Well, all right. I like to start with a quote each morning. Here's the quote for today. The task of the preacher is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Today, wherever you stand, either you need you, you, you are the afflicted that needs to be comforted or you are the comfortable that needs to be afflicted. Just, just receive that. Amen? See, the nature, look at this quote, the nature of Christ's salvation is woefully misrepresented by the present-day evangelists. He announces a Savior from hell rather than a Savior from sin. And that is why so many are fatally deceived, for there are multitudes who wish to escape the lake of fire who have no desire to be delivered from their carnality or worldliness. Billy Graham said, if we had more hell in the pulpit, we'd have less hell in the pews. Come on, that's good. Give it up for Billy. Look at Charles Spurgeon. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees. Let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. I mean, are you, are you sensing the desperation this morning? 
We left off last week. If you're just joining us, we've been in a study. We've been going through the whole book of John chapter by chapter and just kind of walking it out and learning to walk it out as we, as we go through his, his word. And last week we left off jumping between 11 and 12 of the book of John. And as we continue pressing on through our journey through this gospel, we're at a point right now where we're halfway through the book. Come on, for those of you that are not readers... How many of you get excited when you're halfway through a book? There's 10 of us in here, right? Some of us read just to get halfway through, just so we can see the fat on this side and the skinny on this side. Anybody with me? I know some of you just love to read and you read, it doesn't matter. But but some of us get every couple of pages, we look and see how much we got left. Right? Just me. All right. So we're halfway through, or more than, through the book of John, and, and, and that, that's exciting. And what that means to me is this, listen, if you have been around lately, if you've listened to all the messages in this Walk It Out series, then you are getting to hear the full gospel. And, and you might not understand how important that is, but you're hearing the full gospel gospel. You're not just hearing some clever teaching, some charismatic preaching from men, but you're hearing the full gospel from God. Amen? And, and the, the thing about that is, you see, you can't keep hearing the full, undiluted word of God and not be changed. You can't keep hearing the word of God and not be bothered, not be uncomfortable. You can't. And at that same time, that same word, you can't keep hearing that word of God and not be comforted. Not be infused with hope. Not be overcome with peace. Not be running over with encouragement. <clears throat> what makes the difference is where you stand. Amen? Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God speaks... It is alive and active and full of power. I'm reading from the Amplified. Making it active, operative, energizing and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Penetrated the dividing line of the breath of life and the immortal spirit and of joints and of marrow. Exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of our hearts. That's what the Word of God does. See, if you're standing in stubbornness and disobedience today and unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and hatred, then this morning the Word of God will make you uncomfortable. It will get you bothered. Not, not that, so that you can feel, oh great, another place that I don't fit in. No, it, it gets you bothered because it wants to show you the very thing that is keeping you from the peace of God. Where, family, where do you stand today? What is keeping you from the peace of God? Don't be discouraged this morning. Don't run from it. Don't try to get up now because the ushers will stop you. Just relax. What is keeping you from the peace of God? The Word of God is alive. It is active. Don't try to run because it will follow you. If God is calling you, He's drawing you. Somebody needs to stop running. Amen? 
The difference is where you stand. The same word from God that makes one uncomfortable fills someone else with peace. That one, that, that, that's the person who has the word of God in their hearts. They're comforted when they hear it again. When, when it resounds and something that, that they've been feeling and they've been filled with hope knowing that God speaks to them, that He hears them, that He knows them. See, the difference is where you stand. Now the person that stands in doubt and disbelief because of the hardships of this world, because of the things that they've seen, the things they've had to go through, that same word convicts and corrects and even rebukes. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God Breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. What for? 17. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Is anybody looking to get thoroughly equipped? Amen. See, the message says, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, and correcting our mistakes training us to live God's way. Church, if there's one thing that I want for me, if there's anything that I want for you, I want to show the truth, expose rebellion, correct mistakes, and train to live God's way. But how many of you have ever trained before? <coughs> Somebody say, training ain't easy. Or we'd all have six packs. Amen? For training to be, to be effective, to really get lasting results, training has to be consistent. Can anybody attest to that? See, in the physical, and, and maybe, you know, I'm, I'm blowing up some guys today, but, but this is how we are. When the summertime comes around, or the day comes when we need to throw on a bathing suit... You know what us guys do? We start doing push-ups. The day before and the day of. Come on, who's man enough to admit it? Yeah, all right. Right? And when, when we're not feeling good, you know, when we're not feeling like our chest isn't filling up the t-shirt enough, we, we, we start doing some push-ups real quick, maybe a pull-up or two if we can, and, and, and you know, and just push, push out a little bit just to, to get a little swole, you know, get our swole on. And then it feels like we're, we're in good shape. But then after the beach, it's back to the Doritos. Right? Come on. It's, it's, it's like getting to the floor. That would be a lot of work. <laughs> I'll reach for the bag of Doritos. I'll reach, right? Because, and, because you see, <clears throat> why? Because training takes commitment. Training takes determination. And ultimately, the bottom line is this. Training takes sacrifice. Come on, we're going to get serious right here. Training takes sacrifice. And now, listen to me, hear me out, don't get offended. But the same way in the spiritual, some of us start feeling like our life isn't filling out our t-shirts in the right way. Things aren't feeling right, things might not be going right. And, and so, so what do we do? You know, we know something's missing, so we hit the church. 
Just like in the physical, we hit the gym, right? But in, in, in the spiritual, we hit the church. And, and, you know, we show up at the church and, you know, we get our hallelujahs on and we get some altar time. We maybe hit the carpet a little bit. You know, maybe you have somebody pray for you or you go and you get a prophetic word. And, and as long as you manage to dodge the conviction and dodge, you know, the, the, the real stuff, as a, you might even let yourself get emotional enough to cry and, and, man, leave here feeling like, wow, I got my spiritual on. I am, I am so good right now. God is so happy with me. I am, God is so pleased. Amen? As long as you avoid the real conviction in, in your heart, then, then you, you, you can scoot you know, you, you right out of here. But the bottom line is all you did was to do a few push-ups before putting on a bathing suit. All you did was get your spiritual on. Training takes sacrifice, and that's why that swole in your chest is not going to last. And that's why that, that spiritual swole is not going to last after Sunday. Man, some of you have great Sundays, right? You, you, you come to church, man, and we're excited, and, we're, and we leave here. We're talking about God. We're talking about, and, and this Sunday we remember to pray for our food because we just left church. And, you know, so, Father, we just thank you for the chicken fingers and, the, and, and God. And, you know, and we're real amped up on Sunday because we just came from this environment, right, where the worship was live, the preacher was screaming and yelling, right? And, and it's, it's, it's amped up, but, but if it's just a swole, by Monday, by Monday, you ain't thinking about nothing but the bagel. You ain't thanking God for the bagel. It's, like, it's a bagel. I don't need to thank God for a bagel. Right? And, and then, then, then it's raining. God, it's raining. It's hot, God. So there's nothing to thank God for, right? It, it, it changes. And then, and then, you know, we repeat the cycle. We repeat the cycle. And we're just like a mouse in a, in a cage chasing the cheese. Amen? When is the body of Christ going to walk in some power? Man, I want, I want people to walk in power, man. I want people to come. It, it, it kills me when we start worship and I don't see nobody here but me. Like, why nobody want to worship? And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not judging. I know that some people, you worship your own way. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you got to do it this way. Some of you, where you get your worship on, inside you are sweating, you are, I know, I know. That's your personal way, that's fine. But there's some of you that you, you know you ain't doing nothing. Amen? Some of you know you ain't stepping out. To throw up an arm would be a little bit much. Come on, church. It depends on where you stand, Amen? Training takes sacrifice. And so we've been, we've been, you know, looking at some people's lives as we're going through the book of John. And so I was just thinking today about, you know, this weekend about who they really were, how they lived. And so rather than move on, I'd like to stop today and kind of do a little character study on these people that we've been talking about. Amen? Because, see, that's really studying scripture, not just reading this, but understanding why these people are who they are and why, what happened to them. Amen? That's part of of exegeting, drawing meaning out of Scripture. And so I was thinking about these sisters, Mary and Martha. And we, we hear about them first in the book of Luke chapter 10. It says in verse 38, As Jesus and His disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to Him. Key, that's key, listen. 39, She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to whatever the Lord said. 
40, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that she had to make. She came to him and she asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Listen to God's response. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken away from her. Amen? See, Martha was the kind of person who would open her home to Jesus. <clears throat> she was the kind of person that would invite Jesus into her home. Not only her home, you know, open her home to him, but to all the people that walked with him. Him and his disciples were invited. And so, so he, she opened her house to all of them. She was the kind of person, I suspect we have a few of these today. Usually they're Puerto Rican. But she's the kind of person that would go all out to make things, every, everything right in the house. You know, anybody here know what I'm talking about? You don't just invite somebody over for, for coffee and cheese. That might, might be what you say, right? But there's a penil in the oven. There's, there's, there's six pots burning. You got a cake cooking in your neighbor's oven, right? I mean, you are just, you invited them for an hour, but you want to make sure everything is, is done up. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? So, so what happens here, look, she wanted to make sure. Now, her heart is in the right place. She wanted to make sure everything was beautiful for Jesus. She wanted to make sure everything looked right. <clears throat> she wanted to make sure she had everything she could possibly need. But because she took on more than she can handle alone, she got frustrated because she needed her sister's help to help her make all of this happen. But her sister just wanted to be around Jesus. What's the application in that for us? Listen. We become Christians by opening our home to Jesus. By inviting Jesus into our homes, into our lives. As Christians, we have to be careful that we don't fall into this same trap. Where we're so concerned with ministry and doing the things of ministry. Somebody please listen. Worrying about making everything just right. Can I confess to you church, I get caught up in this every Sunday. Every Sunday I have to catch myself. I'll tell you all the little issues that's been bothering me. A projector went out last week. That stresses me. Why don't we have two projectors? What, what if the people over there can't can look this far? And I, I could get caught up in that. Well, get that projector down. Get it fixed like yesterday. I need it now. We got to put it. And that could stress me out. What else? We put in three ACs and that AC came brand new, not working. Stressing me out. I'm saying, well, tell the guy, get the part, get it fixed, get it done. This, this you know, you know, I, I, I could stress this. And then the guy installed all three, got them all working, and he said, well, ba basically, to make this really the way you want it, you're going to need two more of those units. I'm like, two more of those units? I don't got five grand to put two more of these units. This is going to have to be enough. But I want to make it comfortable, you understand? And so I get caught up, and I start thinking, wait, the lights shouldn't be moving fast. They shouldn't be blinking right now. This, this should be, and, and every, every Sunday morning, this happens in the space of about six minutes. I get myself stressed six minutes. And then you see me on, at the front worshiping. So that's it. Wait a minute. Because then I say, whoa, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. See, I just want everything to be, to be right. You know, I, I want everything to go right. I want the best for God. 
I want nothing to be a distraction. And I, I'll get nervous about the worship. I'll get nervous at the, at the announcements. Are there too many announcements? Are they going too long? Am I preaching right? Are people going to be bothered that I'm sweating? And I have to catch myself every week and say, you know what? None of this matters. None of this matters. If I don't get around God, none of this matters. <coughs> People need to get, sorry. People need to get around God. None of this matters when His presence is here. Nobody cares about the extra projector, the lighting, or the microphones. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Where the Spirit of God is, there's freedom. Lives are transformed. Amen? Let me say this to all of those that run ministries here at the sanctuary. Do everything in excellence because we do it for the glory of God. That means come prepared, come ready, come early, do what needs to be done. But, but, get, but don't get to the point where, where that's all that matters. Amen? Because Jesus said, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. What matters is that you're at the feet of Jesus, hearing Him and knowing Him more. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, Martha obviously learned this lesson because when we hear about her again in John, look at this verse, John eleven twenty. it says, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet Him and Mary stayed home. She said, yeah, I'm leaving the house to Mary. If I'm out first, she'll have to clean. She said, I'm going to be about Jesus, right? When she heard, and so she obviously learned that lesson, amen? Another thing here about Martha, she was corrected and not offended. Oh, family, please hear this. She, she learned from this correction. See, too many times we're trying to do what we think is right, right? And, and we get corrected. And, and what do we do? Do we learn? We say, forget about him, forget about her, forget about that ministry, forget about that church. There's 16 churches in this neighborhood, I don't need to show up at this one. If they don't like the way I do this, then I don't need to be there. And we get offended, and we get, we get right, and, and we get bitter, and we get angry, and then we go and start spreading gossip and junk everywhere. I went over there to try to help, and they're telling me that I'm doing things the wrong way. Well, well, well brother, before you do it, find out the way they want it done. Amen? So that you won't be offended, but that you would be corrected and, be, and learn, amen, and grow from it. What's the point if you're trying to help somebody and you're causing them more problem? Anybody, anybody know about that? Oh, I got too many examples there, but I didn't want to go there, so I'm just going to keep going. Instead of growing and learning and pushing forward, we quit. And that happens too much in the body of Christ. Hebrews 12, 6 says, It is the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. Somebody say, thank God for his correction. Right? Or we be doing stuff wrong all the time. Thank God for his correction. Now Mary, Mary, this lady was extravagant in worship. She would rest at his feet to hear every word that he said. Because of her worship, because of where she stood, she had the revelation that Christ was going to die before the disciples even knew. 
you got to catch this. She knew, even though Jesus had told the disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to lay down my life. This body's going to be, this temple's going to be torn down. I'm going to raise it up in three days. He told them a lot of different times, but they didn't catch it. Mary, because of her devotion, because of her worship, because of where she stood with God, she had revelation that he was going to die and lay down his life that week. And that's why she took her perfume and anointed his body to prepare his body for burial. You got to catch that in the Word of God. She, she prepared his body. So, so listen, the application here is this. As Christians, the closer we get to God in our worship, in our prayer life, in our lifestyles, the more is revealed to us. Did you hear that? The closer we get, the more we know of him. The closer we get, the more revelation we get. Nobody's excited about that? Some of us look at those people, uh, you know, the first ones to throw up their hands in worship and the first ones to cry in the presence of God. The first people to respond to a challenge in God's word and we wonder, why are they like that? Anybody ever had that? Anybody ever sat in the back and said, man, why that person's always crying? Why that person's always worshiping? Why that person be running around doing worship? Why can't she just chill out? Right? Anybody ever had that? Come on. Right? You say, why that person got to be so like crazy about her worship why that person got to be so like always at the front man chill out but you know why what makes them like that see when you were once blind and you now see man (laughs) nothing compares to the promise i have in him when you and so so the harder things get, the harder, the heavier the load, the harder we we oh, those people are always running to the front because they say, God, I'm gonna lay down my burdens to you. This is too heavy for me to carry the rest of this week. I'm gonna lay it down because your word says your burden is light. I don't care what everybody else in the church thinks. I don't care if they're stronger than me and they want to carry this and they want to wrestle with this. I don't want to wrestle with this, God. I want to give it to you. As soon as it comes to me, I want to give it to you. I want to be free. And so I don't care if I'm the lunatic that worships in church. Amen. A fanatic is just somebody that loves God more than you do. Or like that is somebody. You see, extreme grace releases extreme worship and to whom much is given much is expected amen extreme grace let me give you an example if i picked one of you (coughs) if i picked one of you and i said i'm going to pay all of your bills and i'm going to provide for you from this moment on how many say that's extreme say pick me Right? I guarantee you that you will be calling me every week. How you doing, Pastor? Everything okay? I guarantee you that when I cough, you'll bring me tea. I, I guarantee you if my lips look dry, you'll buy me chapstick. I, you, you, you understand? I guarantee you, you if, if I wear the same shirt twice, you'll get me another one. I guarantee you. Why? Because extreme grace brings extreme worship. And so, if we're not extreme in our worship, it's because we haven't received extreme grace. We haven't realized what we've been given. 
Well, guess what, family? Your sin debt has been paid off. And guess what? You've been given access to a spiritual GPS system that will guide you and never let you be lost again. So shouldn't we worship like that? Shouldn't we worship? Unless, of course, we don't believe it. Unless, of course, we don't believe it. Which brings me to the high priests of that day. Those that try to stone Jesus three times. Can you imagine priests trying to kill you? <laughs> can, <laughs> can you get that picture in your head? You, you're going to the... Just, just use this because it's, it's good. You know, it's easier picture with the collars, right? So you're going to the church and three priests are trying to kill you all the time? Because you didn't do things the way they wanted. You didn't put enough in the offering or you didn't do whatever. Or you didn't pay for baptism or you whatever it is, right? And they try to, can you imagine priests trying to kill you? They didn't want to receive anything, he said. They doubted, they were set in their ways. Because see, the priests thought they had God figured out. They, they had God in this little space in their lives. And, and in that box is where he was told to stay. Jesus came to break the boxes of religion. Amen? Come on, get excited with me. Jesus came to break the boxes of religion. Come on, ladies, you can wear pants today because Jesus came to break the boxes of religion. You can wear makeup today because Jesus didn't care. Amen? He came to break the boxes of religion. And maybe he knew some of you look better with makeup. Praise God. Church, you can't tell God, the point, you can't tell God where to stay. You can't tell Him where He can go and where He can't. See, if you, like Martha, have invited God into your life, then He's in all of your life. Somebody needs to get this. God bless you, brother. Thank you. I still ain't paying your bills. Understand, He's going to be, I mean, unless God told me to, then I definitely will. But, but, but when, when you come to church, God is with you. When, you. when you're crying at night, He's with you. When you're hurting, He's with you. But guess what? If He's with you in church, He's going to be with you at the club. You can't tell Him where to go. He's going to be with you wherever you go. So all I have to say about that is act accordingly. I love, I mean, it, it boggles my mind how, how people think God is so big on Sundays, but then think He don't know where you're at at the club. Then think He doesn't know where you're at when you're, when you're chatting online, pretending to be somebody you're not. I'm six feet and handsome and whatever. Wherever you go, God is with you, so act accordingly. Amen? When you're in that situation that you got yourself in that you know you shouldn't have been in, He's with you, so act accordingly. Some of us have unknowingly taken Jesus into places we would never have invited Him into. But because His Word says, I will never leave you and never forsake you, wherever you go, He's going. You got to understand the ramifications of that. If that alone could weigh on you pretty heavy. 
So these chief priests, they knew the scriptures that had already been written up until this point. And even though, listen to this, even though Jesus fulfilled over 40 different Old Testament prophecies by, by just being who he is and by doing the things that he did, Everything which gave in detail to how the Messiah would come, what he would do, how he would die, what would happen, almost every step of the way. Chapter 12 tells us that he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and people shouted Hosanna with palm branches laid out before him and waving them in the air. All of this fulfilled prophecy from the Old Testament. The fact that he would be lifted up to be pierced in his side, he would give his life and no bones would be broken. Even though it was customary for everyone that was hung on a cross the next day to have their legs broken so that they, their bodies would fall and they knew that they were dead. But it says because they pierced them, he was already dead. They didn't break his legs. Why? Because a prophecy in the Old Testament said his legs, would not, no bones would be broken. I mean, there's just, there, people say, how, how do you know the Bible is true? How can the Bible not be true? It was written by 40 different authors from different times in different places and it tells a story. It tells you exactly what's going to happen at the end from the beginning. All that's left for us is the revelation stuff and, and you better be ready for that, amen? So, so these guys, they knew all of that but they refused to believe with such a passion that they would go against the word of God itself and even after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead which was a sure sign that he is the resurrection and the life. It says in chapter 12, verse 10, because Lazarus was living proof, they plotted to kill him too. Is something corrupt with the body of Christ when the priests are plotting double murders? You see what I'm saying? They're plotting double murders. <clears throat> application let me speak to the visitor today the one who doubts the one who although God has moved mountains to get you here today to get you to hear his call and you still stand in disbelief you refuse to submit. You, re you know He's been knocking on your heart. You know the Word of God has been chasing you for years. How far will you go to silence it? The Word of God shows us here that the chief priests, those calls to set apart the Word of the, and honor God, to teach His ways, to protect the integrity of the church, they deny God to the point of plotting a double murder, going directly against God's Word. See, they could have justified killing Jesus because they said he was, he was blaspheming. And so blasphemy was punishable. But Lazarus was just alive, then he was dead, and then he was alive. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. And they plotted to kill him too. Which brings me lastly to Lazarus. This guy Lazarus brought back from the dead. All the word tells us about him was that he was loved by Jesus. He was Mary and Martha's brother. And it appears as you read through the scriptures that Jesus used to stay with them or at least, you know, by the stories that he used to spend time with them whenever he was in that part of town. Listen, so we all know 
Jesus loves him. It doesn't tell us pretty much anything about his walk, what he did, or the way he lived. And don't get him mixed up with Lazarus from the book of Luke, who was a beggar. That's not the same Lazarus. This was a different Lazarus. Lazarus was a very common name in that time. It means God helped. So all we know about this particular Lazarus is that Jesus loved him and his family so much that when he was sick, his sister sent word to Jesus expecting full well that Jesus would stop whatever he was doing and come to to there to heal his brother. Now watch this. Watch this. Listen, listen. Even though he knew Jesus, even though Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do at this time, he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, he knew Lazarus would walk and talk and eat with him again. When he got there, it says the compassion and the pain of the people there broke his heart to the point of the smallest scripture in the Bible that says, Jesus wept. I just want to show you the father heart of God, knowing he didn't have to cry. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that all these people would be happy again. But be feeling their compassion, sensing their pain and seeing it, it says Jesus wept. How many thankful that, that God feels what we feel? That God can truly feel what we feel. See, nobody can, can, and it's hard for us to tell each other, oh, I understand what you feel. A lot of times we really don't mean it. We're just trying to be nice, right? We're just trying to encourage. We're just trying to be good people. But Jesus said he, he was tempted in every way. He understands what we feel. He knows what it's like to lose someone. He knows what it's like to, 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 have, to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to have people turn on you. He knows what it's like to have people walking with you, knowing that they're only with you in the end to sell you out. You know that Judas was his disciple? That means he walked with him, he lived with him, he ate with him every day. And all the while God knew this man is going to betray me and sell me for, for, for silver. So he knows, amen? See, and, and, and so although Lazarus did nothing to earn this, Jesus raised them from the dead. Lazarus didn't make any special sacrifice. He didn't say some special prayer he, before he died that earned him any special attention. He just loved Jesus. And because of God's love for him, he was moved with compassion. He wept and he spoke life into him. And he brought him back from the dead after four days. Meaning, after all hope was gone, Jesus stepped in. Listen, here's the picture of the gospel of grace. Because God so loved Lazarus, the world, He gave His Son that whosoever believes in Him, even though they have lost all hope, would have life. The only thing Lazarus did while he was living, listen, is he became a friend of God. The beautiful gospel is that while we were yet sinners, not friends of God, Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Grace was free, but grace wasn't cheap. Grace cost something. 
In order that we might have life again after the grave, John is painting the picture so clearly we need to be a friend of God. Let's bow our heads. Because I want to ask you today, plainly, I'm not beating around the bush, I'm not messing with this. I, I want you to know, I want to know plainly, where do you stand? <coughs> the worship team would come. Where do you stand? The Word of God says clearly, we've, we've gone through the whole book of John, where, where, John is, where Jesus said, I'm the only way. Anyone, if you get in any other way, he's a thief and a robber. Jesus said, only through me, there's no other name in heaven by which you must be saved. Only through me. And so the word of God makes it very clear that only if, if we make Jesus our shepherd, only if we invite Jesus into the home, into our life, do we become a friend of God and are we promised eternal life? Are we promised a life abundant even here? Too many people look at heaven like, like heaven's the thing. Man, God says that we can have life now, here. Amen? I want to live like He wants me to live here. I want to have power here. Yes, I want to go to heaven. Yes, I don't want to burn in a lake of fire, but, but God didn't make that for me anyway. He designed that for the devil and his, and his enemies. Not for us, not for me, not for you. So let me ask you today, where... Do you stand? Father, we just come before you right now, God. And I pray, God, that this would be, that we'd be able to, to have just, just 30 seconds, God, of, of self-reflection right now. That we would ask ourselves, am I a friend of God? Have I made myself a friend of God? Do I act like a friend of God? Do I walk like a friend of God? Do I talk like a friend of God? Or do I do more things behind his back to prove that I'm not his friend? Family, my prayer today is that no one would leave without knowing where they stand today. The role of the preacher is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. I want you to feel comfortable in this church. I want you to feel like this is your family. I want you to feel close to God here. I want you to feel close to us here. But that can only happen if we're really friends. If we truly become family. And in order to do that, we need to be a friend of God. So I'm going to ask right now, with a, let's just keep our heads bowed for a moment. I'm going to ask right now. You've never made that decision. If you've never made that bold statement, listen, in a few weeks, we're going to have a baptism. And a baptism is just an outward confession. There's nothing new in the water. There's nothing holy about the water. It's an outward confession of what we believe on the inside. If you've never made that outward confession right now, I'm going to ask that you would just stand right where you are. You're saying, God, I need to, I want to live like a friend of God. I want to be, I want to know that I'm accepted into your family. I want to know that you, that you've drawn me, that you've called me. If you still have doubts and, and, and questions, that's okay. It's just knowing you're saying, God, I want you to be, I want to, I want you to be, come into my home. I want you to come into my life. If you've been running from God, would you just stand?
The word to you today is just to stop running. Stop running because where can you go to hide from the love of God? The word says whether you make your bed in hell or whether you ascend up to the heavens, there my love will be awesome. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. If you're standing, would you just come down? Come down. And if you're here today and the word of God has just said something to you, it's just put some things on your heart, you want to make those things right, ain't nobody going to ask you anything about them, but would you just come join, come join those in the front. Would you just come and say, God, I just want to make things right. I want to know, God, that I'm pleasing you. I want to know that I'm in training to live a godly life. God, I want you to expose my rebellion. I want you to, 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 to strengthen me. I want you to show me the truth in my ways. Pastor Gary, would you come and pray for those that are standing? Some of you are still running. Would you stop? Nobody wants to hurt you here. Nobody wants to beat you up. You, it's time to be accepted. It's time to come to a place where you can be fully known and still loved. That's the church. That's what the church should be. the Sanctuary Fellowship. We are a new and growing church with a passion and a heart towards enjoying God, serving people, and building healthy families. We pray that you will continue to fellowship and grow with us as we follow hard after God. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.sanctuaryfellowship.org. God bless. us.